Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. Right, let's turn to the Word of God, and we're going to look at a well-known passage in Matthew chapter 8. It's that passage in which we read about Jesus calming a storm. And we're going to try and open this up and see what it is that we can learn from it together this morning. But before we do, let's ask for God's blessing. I pray that these words may be spoken and that these words may be heard in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, many of us who have Uh, read the Gospels will be familiar with this, but I want to just sort of dig in a a little bit deeper uh, and look at this well-known passage, Jesus stills the storm. Now, this is an event in the life of Jesus that took place here at the Sea of Galilee uh, in northern Israel, and Jesus himself was a Galilean, and most of his first followers were Galileans. And if we look uh, at where this sea is, it's an inland sea, the Sea of Galilee. It's actually below sea, sea level. It's a freshwater sea. Uh, Jesus was from Galilee, which is on the west side of the sea, on the, the left side of the screen. And on the other side is not Israel. It's Gentile land. This region called uh, Decapolis was not part of Judea and Galilee. It's not part of Israel. So what Jesus was actually doing on this occasion was looking for a bit of peace and quiet. So if we read the passages before Matthew chapter 8, we find he'd been ministering amongst the people in Galilee, amongst his own people, the Jews, and they were coming to him, and he was preaching and teaching, and he was healing the sick. And then the point came where he said to his disciples, I need to get away. I need a bit of a break here. So he asked his disciples to get a boat ready, and he wanted to cross over to the east side of the sea, to the Decapolis, a Gentile region, where he knew there wouldn't be so many crowds of Jews following him. So Jesus was basically tired, and he needed a rest. And so uh, we know that fishing boats around this time would have been something like this, maybe about 15 or 16 feet long. So Jesus got into the boat, Uh, with his disciples, and they began to cross the few miles to the other side. And because he was so tired, we know that uh, he actually fell asleep in the boat. So this is the passage that we're going to to look at, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to 27. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake. Now, the the Sea of Galilee is actually prone to this kind of sudden storm, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So Matthew records this wonderful miracle in the life of Jesus, and Mark and Luke uh, also record the same. 
Uh, I just put this up to see that, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke very often record the same events about Jesus, but they offer slightly different details, not contradictory details, but some has more detail than the other. And you can see that the version we just read in Matthew is a little bit shorter than the other two. Mark is the longest. Mark gives more detail. So as we go through, I will sort of refer once or twice to uh, details which occur in the other two Gospels, in Mark uh, and Luke. Now, the miracles of Jesus, and let's face it, stilling a storm, calming a storm is a great miracle. They are a cause of great wonder and praise. Wow, you know, here is this raging storm over the sea, and just with a word, with a rebuke of the wind and the waves, Jesus makes everything perfectly calm. And that is a great cause of wonder. And we should praise God for that power that's displayed on this occasion. However, the miracles of Jesus are also meant to teach us things. And particularly two things. To teach us about the person of Jesus. Who exactly is this person, Jesus Christ? And then secondly, how is what is happening in this miracle, how can we apply that to us? In what way is this calming of the storm relevant to us? So as we're going through this passage, it's, it's those two questions that we're going to be thinking about. Okay, a great miracle. Yes, we can praise God for the miracle, but what are we to learn from it? What are we to learn about Jesus himself, and how is that relevant uh, to us today? Now, the first thing is, as we begin to think about this passage here, is that Jesus obviously was a Jew. And all of the men in the boat with him were Jews. And they were all men. Matthew, who wrote this, was a Jew. Matthew was in the boat at the time. And one thing that they all would have had in common is they would have all been brought up in the synagogue. And we know this for a fact. On the Sabbath day, Jesus used to go along into the synagogue and his disciples with him. He still continued to do that after, even after he began his ministry of preaching and teaching. He would go along to the synagogue and participate. And one of the things that took place in the synagogue was the reading of the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. And so it is, many Jews at that time would have known the Old Testament by heart. I've met Jews from Israel today who know the Old Testament in its original language, Hebrew, by heart. And I would say it is impossible for a Jewish person at that time or now, or it's impossible for someone who is intimately familiar with the Old Testament to read about what Jesus did on this occasion without thinking of something else, something that took place in the Old Testament. So here is a boat on a sea, and suddenly there's this storm, and the boat is threatened with sinking, and the people are crying out, they're panicking, and there is this man who is asleep on the boat. And some of you who are familiar with your Old Testaments, your mind will be going back, I'm sure, to another story about a storm on a boat. Another story in which the main character in that story is actually asleep in the boat and they come and wake him up. And of course, 
That is the Old Testament book of Jonah. Yeah, exactly. And so the way that Matthew writes about this miracle in the Gospels, there is no Jewish person who is familiar with the Old Testament or even a Gentile person who is familiar with the Old Testament who cannot help but think of the Old Testament story of Jonah. Let's just sort of put the two together for a moment. So in both of them, the main character gets into a boat. Jonah does that. Jesus does that. To cross over the sea, to go to Gentile lands. That's where Jonah was going to get away from Israel. That's where Jesus was going to get away from Galilee. And then a storm arises. The boat is at risk of sinking. That's in both Jonah and Matthew chapter 8. Those on board are incredibly afraid. Whereas Jesus, Jonah, both of them are asleep on the boat. And the people, they come and wake him up. They ask for his help. And then at the end of the story, the storm is stilled. And those on the boat are greatly afraid. So in this wonderful story in the Gospels, there are these echoes of this story in the Old Testament, the story of the book of Jonah. And there's so many similarities. However, what I want to point out is the differences, because this is highly significant. So the first part of the story, as we go through there, all of those things marked in green, those are true both of Jesus and the Old Testament prophet Jonah. All of those things concern both Jesus and Jonah. But it's when you come to the last part of the story, those last two things, the storm is stilled, those on the boat are greatly afraid, it's here that a huge difference comes. Because in the Old Testament story about Jonah, here these things are not talking about Jonah the prophet, they're talking about the Lord, the God of Israel. It is Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I Am, who stills the storm that threatened Jonah and those on the boat with him. And at the end of the story, it says, all of those on the boat greatly feared the Lord, Jehovah, the great I Am, Yahweh. But in the Gospels, those two things are done by Jesus. It's Jesus who stilled the storm. And the disciples with him in the boat, at the end of the story, it said they looked at Jesus and said, who is this guy? And they were greatly afraid of Jesus. And so all the way through the story is Jonah, Jesus, Jonah, Jesus, Jonah, Jesus, Jonah, Jesus. But then you come to the climax of the story and Jesus is no longer Jonah. Now Jesus is God. And Jesus described himself in the Gospels as one who was so much greater than the Old Testament prophet Jonah. And so, naturally, they say, who is this person that even the winds and the sea obey him? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer is obvious. Jesus is no ordinary man. He is God become flesh. So, what does this miracle teach us about Jesus? It teaches us that Jesus is none other than very God, the Lord, Yahweh, in human nature. And as such, he has absolute power over the forces of nature beyond human control. The disciples, many of them experienced fishermen, could do nothing to control the boat that was sinking in this storm. But then Jesus rose up, and because he was very God in human nature, he was able to control the forces 
of nature. So that's who Jesus is. And if we're familiar with Psalms, there are many passages in the Psalms and other poetry of the Old Testament which speak about the omniscient power of God, the absolute power of God over all of creation, including the wind and the waves. So, for example, Psalm 89, you, the Lord, rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. And in the Gospels, this is Jesus who stills the waves of the sea. And then a longer passage in Psalm 107, we won't read it all, but it talks about those who go out into the sea in ships. And then there is this great tempest that lifts the waves of the sea high. They cry out to God in fear. And it says there that the Lord heard them in their trouble. He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. So those familiar with the Psalms and other Old Testament books would realize it is the Lord. It is Yahweh who is the one who is able to still the storm. And that Lord, that Yahweh, was asleep in the boat with his disciples. At first, He appeared to do nothing in the face of this danger, but they come, they wake him up, and he displays that divine power by healing, uh, by uh, putting an end to these forces of nature. So that's who Jesus is. He's not just an ordinary man. He is God become flesh. He's God become human, which is what we celebrate, the incarnation at the time of Christmas which, unfortunately, is soon going to be uh, upon us. It comes around incredibly... Did you find that? As you get older, Christmas seems to be coming around all the time. As you're young, you know, it just seems, you know, years and years away. But, uh, you know, it just seems to come around with... That's, this is an, as, an aside. It's not uh, a main part. Right, so who is Jesus? He's God become man. But how can that help us? How can we apply this to ourselves? How is it relevant to us? Now, there are many Bible uh, characters, uh, especially in the Old Testament, who speak of experiences in their lives which they compare to drowning, which they compare to being struck by a storm, which they compare to facing a great hurricane, a great tempest. And, of course, these are really metaphors. In the Old Testament, we find that the storm in the sea, the waves at the sea, the the, the tempest in the sea, these are used as metaphors for troubles in our day-to-day lives. Being struck in a boat by a storm can be likened to you and me going through our day-to-day lives experiencing some great difficulty of whatever kind. And in the face of such difficulty, we can feel as though we're in the midst of a storm at sea. Here are some examples. Now, Psalm 69 was spoken by David. And one thing we know about Psalm 69 is when he wrote it, he was far from the sea, he was far from the deep waters. And yet he said in the Psalm I sink in the miry depths, the muddy depths, where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. But he's not talking about water. As a poet inspired by the Holy Spirit, 
He's talking about the problems that were coming his way. There was another king, Saul, and Saul had sent his men, men to kill David. They were pursuing him uh, across the mountains, through the deserts. They were pursuing David, uh, and wherever he would try to hide, they would come and try and flush him out and kill him. And for David, that experience was like being thrown into the depths of the sea. And again, lamentations by the prophet Jeremiah. The waters closed over my head, and I thought I was about to be cut off. But Jeremiah wrote those words in Jerusalem, which is nowhere near the sea. It was at a time when the Babylonian army had come and attacked the city of Jerusalem and were putting many of the people of Israel to death or taking them into exile. And that whole experience for the prophet as God was like waters coming over his head. And then Job, again, very far from the sea, uh, says, you, you snatched me up and you drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. And Job had so many problems in his life. And for him, it was like being tossed around in this great whirlwind and storm. And I'm sure all of us here can relate to this kind of metaphor. I'm sure all of us in our life experience storms and tempests and whirlwinds and floods that threaten to engulf us. This particular year for my family, my, my wife and I have said, I mean, th this year uh, has been a year above all others in terms of storms that have come our way. I won't, won't give you all the details. It would take too long to... But we've had health problems in our immediate family. One of my sons is ill, and the doctors simply cannot find out what the problem is, and he's been ill for months. And then my, both my in-laws have become seriously ill, uh, more or less at the same time, one, one with uh, a form of cancer, the, the other with Parkinson's disease. And then my elder brother becomes uh, seriously ill, who lives near... We've just had one thing after another. My wife and I just looked at us, and, and yeah, it is like wind and waves and, and storms striking us. And I'm sure all of us encounter such experiences in our lives on a regular basis, whether it's health, finance, relations, work, home problems, the storms come our way, and perhaps we feel that life is something like this poor fellow here in the midst of a stormy sea. Now, the fact is, if you're sailing through the sea, and the sea is like this, as calm as a mill pond, well, okay, that must be very pleasant and very enjoyable, but at the end of the day, all you're doing is standing at the back of this yacht, and you're holding the rudder like that, and you, you think, yeah, aren't I a wonderful sailor, you know, aren't and you're just going along, and an hour later, yeah, or maybe, you know, a bigger yacht would have a, a, a wheel. Um, but the fact is, and uh, it's been said uh, by uh, the Reverend John Ray, who lived uh, three or four hundred years ago, uh, he said, and this is very true, in a calm sea, every man is a pilot, meaning pilot in the nautical sense. In a calm sea, every person could be a pilot. You know, when the sea is like a, a mill pond, you can take anybody from the shore, put them at the back of the boat, and say, hold that for a couple of hours, and yeah, and off you go. So, in a sea like this, anybody can do it. You know, we talk about plain sailing. Well, yeah, okay, but when you come off the boat at the end of the day, what have you learned about sailing? 
Well, very, very little. The real test of a good sailor is a storm that's like that, a sea that looks something like that. Uh, this is a freeze from a clip on YouTube, and you can see this yacht being tossed around by, by the wind and the waves. And this is a real test of the helmsman's skill as a sailor. And you think it's going to be engulfed by the waves, but actually, as you re uh, watch the, the clip on YouTube through to the end, uh, the yacht emerges unscathed. And this is the kind of life that in his wisdom, God has chosen for each one of his sons and daughters. For you and for me, the life that God has chosen is not meant to be one of plain sailing. And there are good reasons for that. Firstly, and this is reading one of the New Testament letters, Peter. Now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, okay? So all of us here are going to experience grief because of trials that come our way. But then he explains, these have come so your faith may be proved genuine. So one of the reasons in his wisdom God allows us to suffer these trials is to show both to us and to those around us, to the rest of the world, that the faith that I have is a genuine faith. And how does it do that? Because like the disciples in the boat, although many of them were fishermen, when the storm hit the boat, in the end, they realized that safety did not lie within their own hands. T to safely reach the other side of the lake, a journey they had done hundreds probably of times before was not within their own power to do it. So what did they do? They turned to the Lord. And so in all these trials that come our way on a more or less daily or weekly basis, the thing that shows that your faith and mine is genuine is not that I try and work out my own way from this problem that, that's, that's just struck me and my family, because that is sure to meet with failure. If we have real faith, what we will realize is that the answer to this is not within ourselves. Okay, there is one in the boat with us, the boat of our lives, and he is the only one who has the solution to this problem, because he is the one that has control and power over these things. The worst thing to do would be to try and find a solution in ourselves without going to wake the Lord and to cry out to him. If we do that, if we cry out to the Lord, what we're doing is demonstrating faith. We're saying, Lord, I can't get through this alone. You are the only one who can get me through it. Wake up and hear my cry. But there is another reason as well why God allows these trials to come our way. And again, another of the New Testament letters, this time James. James says these very challenging words. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Now remember that, joy. 
whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what the Apostle James is saying here is we're going to face trials and these trials can have a positive effect upon us. They can produce perseverance. And through experiencing trials, we can become mature as people, mature as Christians, mature as disciples of Christ. And then the Apostle uh, Paul in Romans says something very similar. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now, there's a challenge to glory in sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character, and the list goes on. So trial, testing, suffering can be productive. Paul here uses produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. So God allows his children, God allows you and me, to experience all these unpleasant things in our lives, storms, Tempests, waves, the wind, the deep seas that seem to overwhelm us. He allows us to experience these things because he wants us to grow in our character. To grow closer to him. To grow, to become more godly men and women. I am honestly preaching this sermon to myself more than to you. And... Uh, I, I, I've been reflecting on these passages from uh, James, Peter, and Romans over the last few weeks because, you know, the, as I was saying, life has become uh, so full of trials. Uh, you, you do question God, and you, you, you call out to him, uh, and it seems as though nothing is happening. But what we need to do in that situation is to let these trials have the effect that God intends them to have to test the genuineness of our faith, and to improve our character. And the great challenge, of course, is to turn that around, because in both of these passages, uh, James, in James 1 verse 2, and then Paul in uh, Romans 5 verse 3, says we shouldn't just grin and bear them. We, we shouldn't just endure the things that come our way with a stiff upper lip, as British people are prone to do. But rather, we're to actually see the positive value of them. And it's that that God is definitely challenging me to do in my life uh, uh, at the moment with all these uh, illnesses and health issues going on in the, in the immediate and extended family. Consider it pure joy. Uh, there was my son uh, ill in bed yesterday. I, I felt his forehead. He had a high temperature. He was showing signs of uh, considerable uh, distress. Uh, and, you know, if you're a parent, you look at your child like that, you're unable to help. You know, it had painkillers and so on. Uh, and when you see your own child suffering, it, it's more uh, than if you are suffering yourself. And you just wish you could take his, his place. And these verses just kept on popping up into my mind that uh, in this kind of situation, uh, there is the positive that can come out of it 
the end of which, at present, only God knows. We are unable to see the end. These two verses, glorying in our sufferings and counting it or considering it pure joy, is the ideal Christian response to whatever trials and tribulations come our way, and it is not something that is learnt in an instant, as I am finding out. But I do believe all of these trials and tribulations come under the fatherly hand of God for my own good and for the good of others involved. And that if only if I and you too in your situations responded in the right way, we could be so blessed through the storms and winds and deep seas that we encounter in our day-to-day lives. So there was Jesus in the boat. Who was he? He was God made flesh. He had power over the physical storms, over the physical wind and the waves. And because he has that power over the physical elements, he has all power also over all spiritual elements, all things that we encounter in our lives. He is also the Lord of those things. And he allows us to go through the storms of life for our own good, because he wants us to grow, he wants us to mature, he wants us to lean upon him and not upon ourselves. And if we do that, we will grow closer to him, we will grow stronger in our faiths, and we will grow in our characters to be more and more like Jesus. If Jesus is in the boat, as the 12 disciples discovered, then the boat cannot possibly sink. And your life and my life, I'm sure, is like a boat on the midst of the deep sea. And there are often times when it seems as though it's going to sink. But if Jesus is in the boat of your life and my life, the boat cannot possibly, cannot possibly sink. But ultimately, he will bring us to that safe destination. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.